0: I'm Savitra Wilson, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to my podcast, From Solid Ground to Resilient. So, last week, I welcomed Brandon Rule to From Solid Ground to Resilient. Uh, Brandon is an entrepreneur, real estate and business advisor, speaker, influencer, and commercial real estate developer. We talked for over an hour about How the novice real estate investor can get started. Um, And so, because that interview went over an hour, I decided to break it up into two episodes. So, here's part two. So, for someone like me who's accredited, would you suggest I do both like accredited um, opportunity deals? And some of these projects and deals that I see people crowdfunding for. So I'll say like Chris was basically saying, <laughs> he kind of called me out on this a little bit. I was in the group of people he was calling out uh, because he was sending people, I guess the link to his crowdfund. And they were like, Oh no, these, I want to invest in something bigger. Right. Um, that's not, they that don't have 5,000 investors in it. And I was like, dang, that's how I was thinking too. But that's not how I should be thinking because <laughs> if my people are doing something, I should be like, hey, let me just invest. And So I have. I have invested in friends only. I haven't gone outside of just people I know. You know what? I just did a food and beverage one um, from something on Clubhouse that oh, I didn't no. know people. Be <laughs> that was like on a whim because they were pitching. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Let's throw some money in here. Um, but... Chris is basically like, uh-uh, don't you know, don't, don't be like that. Don't wait. And I was like, well, Chris, should I invest yeah, yeah, yeah. in this or should I wait for you to do something else, right? That's like with accredited investors. And he was like, well, you know, you just wait for the next one. And now he returned the dividends to these uh, investors. But like what becomes like worth it to an accredited investor um, to invest in the crowd fund? Just because sometimes I think, okay, if I invest, I don't know, or $50,000 or $100,000 through accredited deal. And then if I invest $15,000, $25,000 through um, a non accredited deal, crowdfunding, through crowdfunding vehicle where there's 20,000 other investors, where the investor terms look a little fuzzy, you know, is that the best route for someone like me to put $20,000 in when I know that sometimes? The terms for these investors through crowdfunding are predatory. Let's be real; it's predatory. Like, and so for me, it's like, well, I'm just going for the credit deals to come around. Is that the right way to be thinking, or not the right way to be thinking, or should I do
1: mixing oh,
0: up? oh Hold right? <laughs> like, oh on. No, wow. <laughs>
1: that's a that's see y'all. That so- is a question right there, man.
0: So one thing that I promise my listeners is that I'm actually taking them on my journey. So these are my real life thoughts that I've had yeah, no, <laughs> when yeah. I'm thinking about where to put my it. money. So that's all I always think. Like, should I just wait for the accredited opportunity or should I just put it into this vehicle? Because this is what my friend or colleague or person has in place right now.
1: So I, I'm, I'm going to just keep it real with the audience because I don't really know no other way. <laughs> Historically it's much better to put it into one of, huh? Let's start here. It depends on who you are investing with. That's the first thing because a bad deal is a bad deal. So that aside, if we're looking at the same deal in two different structures, historically, the non-accredited investor returns will be lower than the overall return from the accredited investor route. And, that's primarily due to the fee load associated with um, getting that many investors into a deal right like when you only have let's say 30 people into a project the cost of that is nominal compared to thirty thousand you know um, just literally transactional fees right and and the fund has to be able to service all of those fees. So at the, just to simplify the most, I, I'd say historically, that is, if there were just apples to apples, the accredited investor route will be better. Um, and I think you'll have more, not more safe. You, yeah. You, I mean, frankly, you'll have a better relationship with the actual person at the helm. not saying you're going to be able to talk to them regularly, but because you are one of their accredited investors, at the very least, their investor relations team will reach out to you on an ongoing basis. If you're into one of those other kind of crowdfunds, you're more than likely just going to have email communication and you're not going to be able to like communicate directly with the person is making decisions. You know, yeah. I think that's a big difference, too. And
0: so also and this may determine particularly for listeners is how much money you have to, as I say, like play with. Right. Um, because what are, what's the threshold for most deals to get into a real estate deals that are only for accredited investors? What is the threshold there?
1: I, I typically see like 50K. So 50,000.
0: 50, whereas or for unaccredited, yeah. if you're just trying to build up maybe a portfolio and if you can source the right deals, then only having, I feel like what was Chris's minimum was like 250. Right. Two hundred and fifty dollars um, or a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars or fifteen hundred dollars, whatever you have to like. I was going to be 500. 500.
1: Okay, so 500.
0: five hundred. Um, five hundred. OK, so five hundred. And so for unaccredited investors who don't have the ability to, to become accredited and they don't have a 50K minimum. Right. To invest, then unaccredited investing is like a pathway to invest. Will you feel like th- Do you Absolutely. feel like that's like a a good take on it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If, even if you are accredited and don't have 50 K to invest yeah, like that is a pathway to invest. And and I'll say there's, if anyone's guaranteeing you, Oh, that's a difference too. So like on the reg D side of things, you can put out your projected returns. Like, Hey, this is anticipated to hit, you know, a 7% preferred return with a, you know, call it 15 to 17% IRR net of fees, you'll get that on the accredited investor side. On the non-accredited investor side, you can't really disclose what the returns are projected to be in that same way. Uh, You kind of just have to, I mean, you could put like projections out to an extent, but you have to be really careful with the language that you're using as it relates to the return on their investment. Um, So that's, that's a challenge. And I think but that said, if you don't have 50k, whether you're accredited or not, it, it's a great opportunity to get into deals. But I would say find the right places and platforms. So I'll say this: I'll just advocate. Like Reinvest is a great platform that's going to be phenomenal in this black owned. So I think that's solid. Um, Chris's platform: Chris has already shown that he can do. Buy, you know,
0: buy the block,
1: buy back, buy the block. buy the block. Yeah, he's He's using the buy the block. Um, platform to raise his funds, though. But yeah, buy back the block is is, his initiative. Buy back the block is his initiative, and he's already proven right. So you can bet on someone like that. That even if there were challenges, Chris, I know him as a person. You know him as as a person. Him as a fund manager, he's gonna make that hole, even if it comes out of his pocket. Right. Those are the people that you want to kind of bet on. Exactly. Um, That's
0: why I always look listen to. When I think about where I invest, ultimately, it has been like pathways through people that I know will go above and beyond. And even if they lost my money, I know that they put everything they could to try to get to return, you know, the investment. Um, and so I think like, that's Absolutely. a big difference to me. And even for like, um, new investors where you feel, you know, like you're putting your money and you want to return regardless of what the size is, you know, that some of these investments are not going to return. Right. And I think that, um, being able to like, feel confident that the person that you invested with did everything they could to try to return it, uh, is important for me at least. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. That That's why you're betting on the person at the end of the day, right? The deal is good. Well, you're betting on the person and the deal. I feel like in tech, you're just kind of betting on a person and like yeah. the market size, but in real estate, you're betting on the person and the underwriting of that deal. It's, it's both. Um, So I'd say, you know, reinvest Chris. If you were looking to invest, I would, I would recommend Fundrise. Um, there was a really, really sharp black woman that worked there for a long time by the name of Latasha Edwards. She's at Avalon Bay now. But really, really sharp woman. She helped run their real estate department and understanding the mechanics behind the deals that they were investing in. They have smart people at the helm of that company. Um, I can't speak for the principals. I don't know them personally, but Latasha, before she left last year or late 20, uh, 2019, she had them rolling, you know rolling, rolling. So fund I would recommend, uh, I think realty mogul is, has proven to be a really solid source as well. And I know that crowd street has, um, you know, smart people. So I'll say this though, one of the things that I worry about in the crowdfunding space, you have marketplace models. So crowd street, realty mogul, um, Republic is now come online. These marketplace models are where, Brandon Rural at Rural Enterprises has a project that I'm trying to raise $5 million for. I put some marketing materials together. They do a quick underwriting and then you smack it on the platform. I, I, I worry about those because it's not in the fiduciary interest of the investors from the, the marketplace perspective because they make money off the amount of transactions. Right. It's not about the quality of the deal. It's more about the quantity of deals on the platform and the overall deal flow and the people that the flow that is flowing into the platform. So I worry about those, even though they're, quote unquote, like underwritten. Those are some really good companies that I mentioned, uh, in particular, Realty Mogul and CrowdStreet. They have smart people. Republic is still kind of new. I'm actually going to meet with the CEO here soon so I can kind of vet them a little bit. But um, those those models in general, there's a lot of models like that that aren't even as good as those uh, I, I really, really worry about. Um, because there's no, it, it's really, really hard to put your money where your mouth is when the way that you make money is by volume, right? Like that's yeah. that's challenging. So the way that the way that our structure reinvest is different, you know. And Fundrise is actually this way as well. Anything that comes onto our platform is already pre vetted, and we've already committed the funds to. Whether or not people come on and raise the funds at all, this deal is good enough for us to say we are doing this regardless. That is a completely different stance than someone just putting five deals up because they're trying to make a fee off of each one of these deals. And another way that is structured, ours is a portfolio-based model. So you put five hundred dollars up, and now you own five to ten assets across whatever geographic region. You know, as we expand, you'll see um, five to ten assets. So now you actually only own a hundred of each one of these five. So if one goes wrong, and you know, a little bit of a way. Overall, one of them is going to go better and your net returns is still truly accounted for from a risk adjusted risk adjusted return perspective. Right. So that's one of the things that's unique to reinvest that we are doing. And I think it's really, really beneficial to the investor that is not savvy because we did a lot of that work for you. And we literally put our money where our mouth is and said, regardless on if you invest, we invested and we are standing with this deal.
0: No, that's, yeah, that's, everything you just said definitely speaks volumes to just like the space and like how, something that I mentioned earlier about you kind of just making it Putting it in layman's terms, where everyone can kind of understand what it is that is happening in the space, and then how they can be a part of it from an investor take. So I definitely appreciate you breaking it down for us. Um, and so I want to shift a little bit because I think it's important for people to understand, like, how does someone like you, uh, a black man in the space, which I believe you said less than one percent of black men are de- doing developments. To the size of yours, right? Um, how do we increase that number? And how do you break through? Like, how do you break in? Is it so relationships based? Is it being in the right place at the right time? Is it just, ha- obviously, it's having the skill set and the ability to get stuff done and execute it, right? And understanding uh, deal flow and um, how to put together uh, projects. But, you know, is still a very short, very small amount of people. And so congratulations on that. But um, how do we go up from here as well?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I'm looking at a sign in my office right now. It says Mamba Mentality, right? The mantra is a constant quest to be the best version of oneself, right? Like that is what I believe in. Every single day I try to become the best version and I give out that. And um, frankly, any of the developers coming up and any of the developers that were before me. um, One thing that I pride myself on is I highly doubt they're working harder than me. So that's the first thing I'll just, I'll start there and then I'll, I'll go back. And that's been my mantra the entire way. Like I study every aspect of this, every single piece. I study the people, I study the mechanics, I study the geographic locations, I study the history, I study the future, where it's going, prop tech. I literally study all of this, whether it just be a Google search, Hey, what is real estate? That's where it started. Then it's like, what is a term? What is an amortization? How do you do underwriting? And through that studying, I was able to have quality conversations with people that I started building relationships with. And because they saw the progression in what was, you know, I started off. So in 2010, I took a program called the Acre Program, and it really gave me the idea of like, hey, a development process. A lot of people don't know what a developer does. A developer pretty much identifies a site and and improves it to the highest and best use, right? That is uh, in a commercial real estate developer in particular, uh, anything five units and above is a commercial real estate development. So my deals, right? I look for urban infills. For the most part, they've been warehouses in these communities that needed uh, affordable housing because that was where I started out. And my first deal was actually a mile and a half away from where I was raised. My next deal is literally a mile away from where I was raised. I was sitting on the board, these community boards and everything in me. I used to pass the same street going up and down every single day, going to high school, seeing this community. When I went to college, I saw a shift and gentrification start happening. The recession happened. I was in school from 06 to 2011. So that gives you you know, some context. And I went to school literally across the bridge from where my sites are and where I was raised. Right. So like Marquette university is kind of in downtown Milwaukee. It is in downtown Milwaukee and my sites are like five minutes. My first two sites are five minutes from downtown. So I'm like, yo, I want to improve my community. I want to do something big. I wasn't stopping until I figured out how to become a developer. And when I realized what a developer could do is like, yo, I can actually help people because I wanted to be a doctor until, you know, I said, I, you know, failed those classes. So I shifted into economics and sociology and that gave me the baseline to say, yo, OK, well, money works like this and people fit within it like that. So how do I effectively create something for those who may not be looking at it in, from the same lens that I am? Like that was always my goal. Like I can help people through creative finance. So I really started to study and I didn't have a finance background like I was an econ arts major. I wasn't even an econ finance major. Like I was just when I finished school, I started working at the bank. Twenty three thousand dollars a year. Uh, and then I, I just wanted to be a developer. I launched my company Royal Enterprises in 2012. I didn't know nothing about development at that time for real. I was just starting it out, but I knew that I wanted to do this. So, you know, nine years later from that point, when I started my company, I've done some cool stuff, but most of that has been really in the last like three years, you know, the first six years I was under a rock, like trying to figure this out and researching and getting to know people, but the process, uh, there's no one way to get in development. I taught at the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, a couple of years back and one of their deans was just like every student that comes into their school, they immediately tell them just because you graduate from this program which is top two in the country does not mean you're going to be a developer. Like yeah. there's no training, there's no education for it. It requires a lot of resiliency, you know, a lot of tenacity, a lot of uh, emotional intelligence and resourcefulness, right? And for me, I found my niche in finance. So I was able to kind of leverage uh, understanding numbers and, and figuring out what a good opportunity in a deal was by doing that. Uh, and then that put me in a position to pitch it to people that had money and experience and align my partnership with them. So and it, it, that's a really brief version, but I figured out how to put a deal together. Like what a quality deal, not just putting a deal together. Like, Oh, I got a deal in my pro forma and I want to shop it. No, What is a good deal? Understand the terms of your debt and your equity providers and your partners and what they want to see and then give them that. So that's the key.
0: Yeah. And I think people underestimate how you can be putting in years and years of work, groundwork in like a bubble. And then you can have two, three years that take you to like the whole another level, but not to um, just discard the amount of years or time that you put in. Um, behind the scenes um, when you weren't at like the highway where everybody's like noticing you and seeing all these big projects come to fruition. You said something about like pitching investors and um, something that you said at the very start of the podcast was this idea of code switching. Um, uh... So let's go back to that and unpack that. Do you feel like that is a part of the game still for those of us that look like us? when we're trying to raise money, trying to get the finances, trying to get someone to sign off on the deal, sign off on the loan, you know, is that element still just highly relevant or, you know, what it, when you said code switch, what do you mean by that? Oh, yeah, I
1: was going that no, perfect. that's a great question. So <laughs> yeah, you definitely remember. <laughs> so code switch for me is um, the full version of myself, right? The full boundaries of myself. Like for me, who I am and my integrity will never be jeopardized for any opportunity. I don't care. I'm standing on it. That's the first thing. So I want to set it with that because uh, oftentimes people go outside of themselves to try to fit within a box to, you know, try to, I'm not bending over backwards for nobody. That's, that's just not how it's, that's not how I'm built. But what I am going to do is, you know, deliver what, What I know you want to see. Right. Like if I'm I think I think it's a core element. It's just emotional intelligence at the end of the day. I mean, that's all it is. It's knowing your audience and emotional intelligence. Right. So like if in any scenario you have a person on the other end of that negotiation, right? Any exchange, any exchange of value, you have to understand intimately what it is that they want to be able to figure out how to deliver that to them and get what you want that's literally how it works like in every scenario um it doesn't have to be transactional in nature right it's not a tip for tat type of thing but it is like hey you require x and i'm gonna deliver x and hopefully through that delivery um there's a rapport that is built to be able to go deeper into whatever it is that you want so for investors right yes like i'm going into the investor rooms and i'm They want to hear the language of finance. They want to hear the language of, you know, what is, tell me about the deal. If I go in there kicking a bunch of touchy filly stuff, leaning off and talking about, oh, I'm doing this for the black community, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get anywhere. That's (laughs) just not how that works.
0: We're black community. Um, Let's focus on green. (laughs) Where's with this green community?
1: (laughs) So the co switch is really just knowing your audience, right? It's like, yo, okay, well y'all want to know green, I'm a, I'm a green it on up. Boom, right. boom. This is the term. This is the amortization. This is the return schedule. This is this, this is that. This is our fully test. You, you stress test, right? Like this is this under this scenario is this under that scenario is that we've, these are our risks, right? This is how we do mitigate our risk. This is our team. These are our experiences. Every single question you're going to have an, question you're going to want to ask. I'm going to have an answer for it. And then I'm going to hit you with, this is why it's important. Right. right. Because me, I take a lot of pride in being a developer first that happens to be black as opposed to being a black developer. I'm not going to be one that just depends on, oh, well, you know, there's this 25 percent bucket over there that might be able to get kicked out to us if we sing and dance and shive and juck. No, want the whole I am. Thing. I am <laughs> yeah, the whole I want the whole thing. Why? Because I see these cats, man. I see they're mediocre. A lot of these cats be mediocre. Like the biggest developers you see be mediocre. The biggest people running these companies be mediocre. You you know the ones that are beast, right? You know the you know the horses to ride. Like it's no different from looking at some of these companies like Bezos and you know, um, you have a you could you could rot that, you could ride that because he's, he's just a beast. Like Elon, he's just a beast, you know, like some of these guys and, and there's so many black versions like you, you know, you're just a beast. That's something that you ride. But in development, it's the same way. Like you see people that are actually sharp and then you see people that are benefiting from white privilege. And I'm never going to minimize minimize the hard work that I put in. So to think about me, there's a lot of value in the hard work that I do. And it gives me confidence to be able to go into any of these rooms and talk to I can literally talk to the janitor and have nothing but a quality conversation because there's something to learn, but then also go talk to the CEO of this 1410 company and have no different feeling about that conversation. So to me, that's a code switch, right? It's like, it doesn't matter where I am. I you could put me on a block. You could put me in a boardroom. I am probably going to be able to resonate with people to your original point. Like I'm going to be able to resonate with all of you all because I know what you are looking for. And I know which hat to put on as we're communicating. If you listen to this podcast and then listen to the podcast that I just did, it's a completely different conversation.
0: Yes, it is
1: completely but different conversation.
0: Primarily, we're talking about the one that you recorded our interview before this one, or ours. Are you? Oh I mean, yeah. Granted, granted, I was. Yeah, ours. Like, I was about say, granted, yeah, no, I, I so. like,
1: oh, This is going to be different. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying, like, even like, even my energy is different. You right. know what I'm saying? Because I'm just starting off the whole podcast thing. This is like my second episode, right? It's like, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. When I get in my bag, this is a whole nother, like, you know, a beast.
0: And it's always like where you start, wherever your comfortability lies, that's how you show up, right? And so you obviously have been more comfortable in the uh, interviewee seat. And now with the podcast, you're turning into the interviewer. So you become a beast of that too. (laughs) Uh, So my next question is, if you could do anything different, if you could look back and have done anything different, would you have changed something? Would you have done something different?
1: No, honestly, I, I truly believe in like two fundamental things in my life. Number one is everything happens for a reason. And Number two is you reap what you sow. And it's going to sound so cliche, right? But like, it's the truth. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. If you go back and change something, wherever you are now may have affected the, you know, if you want to go back and change that one thing, it's probably going to have a ripple effect on something else that you actually enjoy and benefit from. Yeah. And whatever read. your future. You must,
0: is. you must listen to one of my podcasts because that's literally how I answer that question. <laughs>
1: No, I actually haven't listened yet. I sent you the screenshot when I got the notification. When I haven't listened yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. But that's literally how I answer that question because I was like, if you change oh,
1: something, so, head, I mean, it's true. Reminds me like that. That's just that's just a fact, right? So it's like if I'm so I'm so laser focused on what it is that I want to become, every single piece of this journey I appreciate, like there's beauty in this struggle. Like I struggle, you struggle, you know what I'm saying? And we know there's beauty in there's the struggle. struggle people see. <laughs> oh, so real. I mean, my life's been turned off. Like I have been in, you know, went to court for multiple evictions. Like this, this bootstrap startup stuff is not friendly. Like, and I've had multiple businesses, I've owned restaurants and all type of stuff that I don't even really talk about very often, but it is not a it's, it's not for everyone. I think everyone should have ownership, but I don't believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. Like that is not for everyone. This this is very stressful. Do you have any children? No, right?
0: No, I don't have any kids. And I, to be honest, Are you married
1: I, or have you ever been married?
0: Never been married. Don't have any kids. Me either. And so entrepreneurship will push that back to <laughs> like you had like, kids. Who has topics? <laughs> My kid is and,
1: and that's why I brought it up. <laughs> it, yeah, that's your baby you know your company is your baby so the reason why i brought that up is because you have to make sacrifice right like i had to eat nothing for a while right trying to build this thing you said your parents i don't know if it was a mine or yours at this point hopefully y'all listen to both made twenty six thousand, right my parents literally made the same thing no more than 40 ever ever in life at the peak right so the fact that we didn't have that rich uncle or or people that had these super, super deep pockets in our, in our core network, right? You might've met some people along the way and, you know, they believed in you, investing in you and stuff like that. But the fact that you don't have those things, you have to build resilience, right? So like that's, that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, it's like either you sink or swim, right? And so I think some people they look at everyone's success story and they're like, "Man, I'm struggling so much. Like, am I? Do I need to just give up or whatever?" And it's like, shoot, we all struggle too. <laughs> it's like you're preaching to the choir. You just happen to see our winning season, but yeah. we have to struggle a lot to get here. And to your point, the struggle might not be for you right? Like the struggle may not be for you. My brothers, the struggle ain't for them. It ain't in them. My sister, oh no. it's The, the
1: struggle is family. not in them. <laughs> oh man. But we need to marvel at the ones who do it. So my podcast, The Roses Grew, is literally for that. That's why I created it because, um, you know, Tupac's go back and listen to his poem and you know, a bunch of the words that he said about it. But it's like, yo, we need to marvel at these roses that grow from the concrete. Like for me, It's less about the rose. It's less about the unicorn. And it's more about the journey and the story that that person went through to become all they became. And if we can plant that seed and sprinkle that seed around from that rose around the rest of the country to all of the young Savitras and Brandons across the world, this world will be a much better place.
0: Absolutely. And that's what it's about. Right. (laughs) Because like even in that poem, it was like essentially the roles prove nature's laws wrong. Right. And by all statistics, we weren't supposed to make it from where we came from. Right. Just based on the stats. So it's like, how can you learn to walk without having feet? Right. Right. When no one ever gives. you. Yeah. So my final question um, and this also goes back to something that you said early on. And it was about like, you haven't made it yet. That was something that you just said. What does making it look like for you? What does making it uh, look like for Brandon B-roll? What does it look like for you if you could look like, man? If I do this, this, and that, I've made. I, I will have made it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I say, um have a billion dollars in net worth and own an NBA franchise, and then, my, we I mean. made it. right right but 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 it it evolves i don't think it i don't know if it'll ever go higher than that i mean that's like those are like my two like peak milestones right so like before when i was in high school i wanted to be in forbes i wanted to buy a lamborghini and i wanted uh what was the third forbes lamborghini and harvard harvard go to harvard harvard business school something like that two out of the three definitely solid but I don't know if I'm ever go to Harvard, but now it's like, yo, I I really want to be a billionaire. Not because I care about the money. Again, I've already explained how money is just a tool. Like literally that's all it is. But the process and the journey, I want to start documenting to getting to that B right. Going from an M to a B that's a, I mean, I should have documented going from a, a zero to an M really like that's where a lot of the magic happens, but going from, you know, M couple m's to you know a couple b's, I think is gonna be a phenomenal journey, and like you said, like our stories our backgrounds people don't often see uh so see us make it to that place, and frankly, a lot of the people that are there, one of the things that I have a love hate relationship with is that a lot of people that are billionaires and black in this country come from some form of entertainment right like it's either an athlete or an entertainer, like either way, for the most part, the majority of them that are billionaires come from that. And I think we need more examples of entrepreneurs that literally use their brain to be able to come out aside from any, uh, you know, gift that is being sold. And, you know, again, I think that that's a very important place and I think we should capitalize on the potential that that does, but there's no reason why there can't be a black Elon or a black, Jeff Bezos. And again, I mean, they're both worth a hundred billion dollars, right? Like they're on the pace to be a trillionaire. I didn't even say a hundred billion, but I'll tell you this, if those guys can make a hundred billion, there's no reason why I can't make one. So that's the way I look at it.
0: Cause at the end of the day, a lot of this is about access, right? And it is about relationships and getting into some of those circles. I remember one of my investors who is one of maybe three billionaires in Louisiana, he said something to me that always has stayed with me. And he was like, he makes so many returns. He gets so many returns from his investments now that he could throw away money and he had just returned it the next day. Like he couldn't throw away money fast enough because his returns come in just like that. Right. And so it just makes me think about like the proximity people have to wealth. And because I now have this other now I have a group of friends who are millionaires and they're getting uh, deal flow and they're like, hey, I don't even have to let you in this deal because this is a guaranteed winner. That's a guarantee hit. But you my homie. So drop drop a couple stacks in this in this deal and then you get a return. You know what I mean? Like some deals okay. people are set up for, okay. for return. Right. And it's about proximity to wealth. And when you have proximity to wealth and people who invite you into their circles, they invite you into their network. They invite you into another way to make money. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, like relationships, doing what you do well, um, executing on what you do well, showing up authentically as yourself, not trying to cut people short, not trying to scam people. Like all this stuff matter on the road to billions, (laughs) especially if you're black.
1: No, it does. It does. It it absolutely does. Like you hit it on the head. Execution is essential. You know, integrity. Right. You didn't use that word necessarily, but integrity is so essential on the road to becoming prosperous. Because if you are not a good person and you don't do things the right way, that is eventually going to come back and bite you. And we only get a few shots. You only get a couple bites at that apple when you are a person of color like us. So, um, we already have so much a. Ag- You know, going against us when you when you add that on, it makes it nearly impossible to do all the things that you want to do. So, I couldn't agree more. Having that access to deal flow, if we just give an example of compounding interest, right? Let's just take let's take ten million dollars. We're not even going to go with a billion. No, you know what? Let's go with a billion. Let's use some big numbers so people can see what's going on here. If I have a billion dollars, you know, invested, and I'm making an annual return of twenty percent of my billion dollars, right? I'm literally making $200 million every single year, not doing anything that's passive. That is passive money. So I can spend to, to your point, I can literally spend $200 million annually and still not touch my net worth yet. So when you get into these levels and you get into these conversations and then you have that type of disposable income where you can put Two hundred million dollars out, and now you're investing into the Ubers and the Facebooks and the, your company, even right? Like yeah. the returns that come from those type companies, right? Like it's just compounding the twenty percent that much higher, right? Like if you're getting ten x on that money, it's eventually it's just a abundance of wealth. So, for anyone listening, I definitely want you all to realize the power of compounding interest and how. If I'm a billionaire and I make a 20 percent return on my money and assuming I got a billion invested, literally, I have two billion dollars in five years. That's how it works. It's really that simple.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Um, So parting words, anything you want to leave those who are listening in um, with any words and also where can they find you? Uh, He already mentioned he has a podcast. He has a platform coming out. Uh, but where can people find out more information um, about this?
1: Let's see. You can find me at uh B underscore rule on most platforms. Um BrandonRule.com will probably be the central source that you can like find information um from me on. Uh, I don't really text my DMs. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't really check my DMs, so that's not the best place to find me, but you can text me. I have a text number um that if you text me at 202-918- Forty-eight twenty, I will directly respond. Um, just text me, hey, coming from, you know, Savitra's podcast. Love to connect. Uh, I can definitely circle back there. That's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, but you know, social media, the underscore rule. And parting words, um, stay true. That was the first thing that just came to my mind as I thought. You know, um, as much as I said co which I really want people to understand that I do not go outside of this box. And I think. You have to keep your integrity intact as you get more opportunities, right? You just described how when you have more money, you have more access. All good money isn't good money. And you shouldn't always do things. I actually tell people not to do things for money at all. Um, What would you do if you could do it for free? And Yeah, not like literally people. A lot of people say that this isn't the way that you're supposed to think. But I literally would do. Every single every single thing I'm doing right now, if money didn't exist at all, I would literally do the exact same thing. So I think finding your purpose and walking in it is really the key to man- to manifestation and really. You know, creating that wealth that you're looking to create, so um, absolutely, just be intentional, be creative. So that's well, it.
0: Thank you. You know, all of that just really nicely ties up this conversation. Um, I think probably the longest one uh to date for my podcast. And it really just goes Amen. back to we're over time. Like, no, we're good. We're good. We're using all these minutes. <laughs> we're using all these minutes. Um yeah. but like even Anthony, my one, my friend who helps produce this podcast and I'm on his platform, um something that he says like help other people win. Like if you want to be successful, help other people win. Um, And something that people ask me, well, how do you become so successful? I was like, because I made, I help make a lot of people successful. (laughs) And so, yeah, same thing with investors, right? You make them money. They're like, come back and let's do it again. Um, So thank you all for listening. And they tell their friends. Um, And they tell their friends. And they tell their friends. Right. And so relationships, very important. But being um, true to yourself is what the rule number one (laughs) from Brandon Rule. Uh, So thank you for listening in Um, from solid ground to resilient. We'll see you guys next time.